Welcome back, everybody, to GRE Bytes. I'm Davis, an educator with over 10 years of experience. And I'm Orion, founder of Stellar GRE. We're here to bring you your weekly bite-sized episode on GRE prep and grad school admissions. For more information, check us out at stellargre.com. Okay, so there's that old saying, practice makes perfect, which kind of implies that the more you practice, the better you'll get until perfection. We've also talked about perfect scores in the GRE. So help me understand this a little better. Why, why is it that you, the more we practice, the better we get? I mean, it's kind of self-obvious, but it's self-obvious. I don't, I can't actually explain why it does seem to be kind of a miracle of existence. And thank, thank God for that. It's like, I don't understand why repetition and reinforcement only works in one direction. It's like why time only moves in one direction. I don't, I can't explain why, but it does. Like you can't do something over and over again and get worse at it. It's not physically possible. Now, that said, you can get worse at the wrong thing. A lot of people get worse at the wrong thing. As a therapist, I spend a lot of time dealing with people who have become masters at the wrong thing. They've, they've avoided for mm-hmm. 20 years. Now they're master avoiders. They've procrastinated for 10 years. They're a master procrastinator. They're very, very good at what they do because they've done it 10,000 times over the course of Okay, years. so when we talk about practice makes perfect, you can make the wrong action or the wrong habit or behavior you can make that perfect so you have to define what it is you're practicing and it has to be like good practice isn't that what any vice or bad habit is it's just a very well practiced behavior that causes more pain than it's worth but you do it automatically you're really good at doing it you're doing it effortlessly almost yeah and that's kind of the issue with respect to a lot of bad habits is that most people in the beginning didn't intentionally set out to cultivate that habit. Mm-hmm. They slid into it outside of awareness and repeated it a certain number of times that it began to develop a certain psychological or physiological pattern. And then by the time they kind of become aware of what they're doing, the, the pattern has already been established and it's a much harder problem to solve. Because it's so easy to do because you've done it so many times. Yeah. The way I think about it is like every time you do the same thing, it's like walking the same path through a field. Mm-hmm. The first time you do it, the first 10 times you do it, it's not going to create any kind of a path. But if you walk the same way through a field hundreds and hundreds of times, you will wear a path through that field. And at that point, it's going to be much easier to walk through that field on that path than bushwhacking through all of the the underbrush, right? Mm -hmm. That said, sometimes that path doesn't actually go to where people want to go. And they say, oh, I want to make a new path. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's possible. It is possible, but it doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. The analogy is great because let's say you leave that path and start bushwhacking a new way through that field. That old path doesn't grow over overnight, Mm -hmm. and that new path doesn't get established overnight either. So it takes some time of effortful practice to carve a new path through the field, and there's always the temptation to go back to the old path because it's so much easier and well-established. Unless you, like, you know, turned over all the soil and planted new things there. That's a great metaphor. I like that. But you'd have to put active effort and that would be tough to do that the entire length of the trail. It's true. It's true. So it's like, it's going to be hard either way. So at least, you know, what do you get from your pain and your, and your toil? Hopefully you you get some, you get to go where you want to go. So So, so how does this, how does this work? And what consolations does this give to people who are struggling with GRE prep? 
Well, hopefully it gives a lot of consolation, which is that it's, it's almost inevitable. Like you can't do something over and over again and get worse at it. So it's one important to, to practice. And two, it's important to practice intentionally, mm-hmm. i.e. behaviors that reasonably provide you with an expectation of success. You want improved returns for the effort you're putting in. Of course, this yeah. isn't a faith-based exercise. People hire me because they want their score to go up, not because I'm handsome, yeah. which I am, but it's like that has nothing to do with it, right? <laughs> so the, the point is, is that we want to practice intentionally. And that's what the stellar system is all about. Like for every single question type, there is a strategy or a technique that will solve that problem. Mm-hmm. And so in my system, I present students with those strategies and techniques. Now, I don't expect any student to hear it once and then be able to effortlessly generalize it to future similar problems. So that's where the importance of rehearsal and repetition comes in. Mm-hmm. I used to be an actor. Rehearsal is, it, it can be tedious, it can be uh, time consuming, it can be exhausting, but it's absolutely essential to the success of the show. And the more high stakes the show is, like if you're doing one of those Cirque du Soleil's and you're flying through the air and diving off of buildings, you have to rehearse those behaviors so much that on some level you can't not perform them. That's how you become safe in that performance. Mm-hmm. It's like the performance kind of runs itself at that point because you have overlearned that, you're inseparable from it. You, you still have to be aware and present while you're executing that's the mindfulness part, but you, you, you've rehearsed so much that you can't not do the right thing. Mm-hmm. That's what we're shooting for. And that's not something that can happen overnight. And so rehearsal is something that unfortunately some students can skimp on. The sexy part of prep is like learning the clever trick. Right. I love teaching students that. It's yeah. really fun to teach them this really simple strategy that cuts through 90% of the problem. Right. But just knowing it doesn't mean that you, the student can understand it and integrate it into his or her behavioral repertoire effortlessly moving forward. Right. You can hear something once, it's just information. Correct. You, you do it once, becomes knowledge. Oh, I see that this actually works, mm. but it's not, it's not actually effective or you can't repeat it on demand in a time crunch like the GRE until you've developed this pathway in the field of like, I, I'm just going to go that way. I do that way without even thinking. Correct. I, I, I said in a previous episode that I like to approach test prep like boot camp. Mm-hmm. Now, why do we put soldiers in this immersive, intense experience for two or three months so that when we drop them in the war zone, they're not thinking? If you think in a war zone, you're dead. Don't think, just do. And you rely on your training. Yeah. When the bullets are flying, that's not the time to question whether Sarge was right. Yeah. You, 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 you rely on your training and you've learned it on such a, a level that if you are thinking, it's, it's, on a, it's on a different level. You're thinking tactically as opposed to um, technically. Execution. Right? Yeah. No, that's important, which is why the training, what you're doing in training has to be, that's the effortful practice part where you have to have the training be right and getting you to the goal that you want. So in the context of a GRE, how much prep does it usually take? How many times do you have to get a practice test right at your mm-hmm. target score before you can know that wasn't just a one-off, I can do this automatically? That's a great question because you do need to be able to do it, right? But that alone, being able to do it once doesn't necessarily inspire authentic confidence because authentic confidence comes from trusting yourself that all things being equal, you're more likely to do it than not Mm -hmm. at, at the very least. And doing it once 
if you failed 20 times before you achieved that one success, who is going to feel authentically confident in that situation? So you do have to do it over and over again to develop that confidence. And, but that's something that, that you might have to play with because the time it takes to establish authentic confidence with some of these things might be longer than most students have or would like to have preparing for the GRE. Okay. And so in a perfect world, students learn the strategies backwards and forwards until they can't not do them. And then they generate enough success that that cultivates authentic confidence. But that second step technically is not necessary. Authentic confidence, meaning uh, not just pumping yourself up, self-confidence. I can do this and having yeah. that faith based, uh, this is going to be one of those one-offs. But authentic meaning like, oh, yeah, no, I've practiced this. I've got this. I can trust the results are going to be within this margin that I've established. Yeah. I mean, think about if you were, wouldn't you want that in your surgeon? If you were, if you had to undergo a medical procedure, would you want the doctor to be like, all right, today's the day I finally do it. Yeah. Or would you be like, I've done this, you know, 500 times in the past. Uh, I have a 94% success rate. I, I feel like I can handle the situation yeah. because of my past performance. Yeah, that's right. I would rather have the second doctor. So, so what do you do in those situations you were mentioning when there's like not enough, you know, the time is maybe the time that it would take to arrive at authentic confidence is more than the student has, what? you were mentioning. Yeah. And that's a reality for a lot of students is they don't want to spend the, the months that it would likely require to arrive at authentic confidence. And that's fine. But that means that you might have to, the student might have to abide in feeling less confident than he or she otherwise might. But if he or she continues to do the things that are associated with success, the problem of the performance takes care of itself. Mm -hmm. And this also comes with a lot of the, uh, you know, surrendering the emotional coping strategies like rereading questions or double checking work. It doesn't feel good for the student, Mm -hmm. but you're not there to feel good. Right. You're there to get a score that you need so that you can get into the grad school of your choice and move on with your life. Your feelings are kind of irrelevant. Right. I, that's the tough love here, guys. Delayed it's, gratification. You can't feel good in the moment you're taking the test, but trust in these practice strategies, and then you'll feel good after when you get the absolutely. back. Whenever I talk to students, I say, what if I offered you a choice? You can either feel really good about getting a lower score or you can abide in uncertainty and anxiety the entire time and get a higher score. I have never in 15 years had a student say they'd rather feel better about a lower score. Mm-hmm. And yet, they, if they're not intentional, they can continue to commit to behaviors that take care of their emotion over and above their score and their performance. And so that's what I try to disabuse them of with respect to a private tutoring relationship. No, that's great. That's great. Practice can make perfect, um, but at the same time, make sure that you're practicing correctly. So what I do in my system is I, I introduce a student to a new s- strategy or a technique, mm-hmm. and then I immediately give him or her three version, very similar versions of the same question, and I ask them to grind that solution, to grind that strategy, yeah. where they're applying the same strategy or technique flexibly with, with different numbers in a slightly different format. So the goal is to be able to employ that strategy correctly in 90 seconds or less, and most students can do that in three repetitions. Well, that's great. Immediately after the, the introduction of the technique. They'll have to go back to it you know, a week or two later to refresh, mm-hmm. but if you introduce that grinding, that repetition immediately after the introduction of the strategy, it 
significantly increases retention. Oh man, that's awesome. So thanks for clarifying how this wonderful gift of life that repetition uh, facilitates improvement. I don't know how it works, <laughs> but, it, cool. but it's not a faith that you can't like, you, people want to go to the gym and, and lift man. heavy weights and think, I sure hope that this makes me stronger. You can Google it. Myelin sheathing around the axons of neurons is how repetition makes things work better. But it's a whole thing. It's a whole neuroscience. But it's, thank God it's there. But it's amazing. That's awesome. Well, thanks for clarifying that and how we can use it on the GRE. Um, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be back next week for another bite-sized episode of GRE Bites. If you have any topics you'd like to discuss in future episodes, let us know, stellargregmail.com. And if you're interested in either GRE prep or grad school consulting, check us out, stellargre.com. Talk to you soon. Thank you.